welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. Good to see, to see you, see you, as people say, <laughs> because this is the first time that we have Julie on Zoom and our guest who we'll introduce to you. And uh, sounds great. It's like you're in the room. I feel like I'm in the room. This is yeah. exciting. We're I, getting very tech savvy. Exactly. I love it. With the help of our Danny, our sound engineer, that's just yes. with us. Um, anyway, so I don't know if you've read it, Julie, but we in the recent, uh, most recent episode when we had the Anxiety Sisters, I read their book in the last few weeks. Have you read it yet? Yeah, I've read almost all of it. it I was kind fantastic. of, I didn't read it, for, you know, front to back, but um, I thought it was super, I, they're just very savvy in the way they write. Yeah, and it's a guide. When you say you didn't read it front to back, I did read it, but I would save it and go back to certain parts. Mm -hmm. And I recommend it to anyone who's listening, if you have anxiety or care to learn more or read about it. I think it was just so readable and you can relate to certain parts so, you know, so much that it really right. helpful. Um, but I was thinking that, um, you know, they were saying these two uh, women that were in school, like in the 80s or so college wise and uh talking about how they were suffering so much from, from anxiety and just beginning to speak to each other about it as really close friends and we got into a whole discussion in that podcast about uh stigma and how in mm -hmm. 70s 80s 90s and even all the years before that when somebody was struggling with some sort of mental illness mental health condition they would not talk about it like today and um i know it's really changed it's yeah, it's very exciting that this newer generation, younger generation, um, is really being open about it. Yeah, and I like what they're doing. I I love it. I feel like it's uh, groundbreaking and making mm -hmm. such a huge difference. Which leads us to our phenomenal guest today, Kevin Pellegrino. Uh, we welcome Kevin, and she is a third year pre med student at the University of Michigan who has been a vocal advocate since high school. She publicly speaks out about her ongoing mental health journey and passion for destigmatizing mental illness. As well, she campaigns for increased mental health education in schools. Kevin is studying to become a doctor to bring greater emphasis on self-care, positive psychology, and mental health awareness to our daily care practices. On her college campus, she leads weekly peer support groups and facilitates presentations called Talk Saves Lives through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Oh, so grateful to have you here. Our guest today, this role model paving the way for a less stigmatized world, talking about mental illness and mental health overall. Welcome, Kevin. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor to be here. I having so much imposter syndrome right now, having you ask me to be here. Um, like, it's just amazing to know that my voice matters. And You're all oh boy. Your voice matters. I feel like an imposter every day. So I know. <laughs> I think we all do. I have imposter syndrome <laughs> sitting on the other side of the microphone here. So yes, we'll level it out. But we yeah. uh, you really are. You're such a voice. I, I met Kevin years ago when she was in high school when I went to a fundraiser through the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and she was speaking out as a high school student about wow. mental health advocacy, and I never forgot you. You've been etched in my mind, and I'm so glad to have you here. In fact, when I 
just when we saw each other for the first time, I said, you don't know me, but I know you because we never actually met. I saw her up on this stage and I realized today she doesn't know who I am. So it's great to have you. Nancy's, Nancy's stalking you. <laughs> Start out by telling our listening audience about your story, a little bit of background. Yeah. So I could never pick a day or like a time in my life when I feel like I was started to get cognizant of my mental illness. I have always self-defined myself as being a perfectionist and being a very hardworking person. And I thought that it was always just that. Um, I remember when I was in about seventh grade, I started to develop um, an eating disorder of bulimia. I actually first heard about it, well, saw it on an episode of Glee. And I know like the media, it really impacts you as a kid and that we're exposed to all these things. We learn about eating disorders and drugs and alcohol. Like, I mean, should I have been watching Glee when I was 13? Maybe not, but I was. And I remember I saw it in an episode and they were talking about bulimia and they were talking about putting a finger down your throat. And that clearly really resonated with me. So then it wasn't until my freshman year of high school that I got any help for my eating disorder or my anxiety. And I feel very fortunate in that I never directly had to go and ask for help. Um, I was just going to the doctor. Um, we were about to leave on a family vacation in the, in the long two days. And I go in and my doctor is like, here's a depression questionnaire, like you've reached the age. And I fill it out, and apparently I filled them some alarming bubbles that they didn't like. And because then my doctor started bombarding me with all these questions of what was going on, what had happened, how long I've been feeling this way. And I was just sitting there like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm fine. I'm handling it. I can take care of it. This, this isn't anything of concern. And if I hadn't taken that questionnaire or gone to the doctor, I really don't know if I would still be here today. I feel like that's a pretty big statement to say. But after that, I started going to therapy. Well, first I saw a nutritionist, which was not the right step. Um, But a lot of times you don't know what the first step is supposed to be. Like for someone having an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. like the first logical step we need to help. Who had suggested the eating, the uh, nutritionist, the doctor or your I'm pretty sure it was my doctor, but I remember that my mom went to me to see a nutritionist first. And that was not the right call. Um, It was a sports nutritionist. And I remember that she was having me track my food and weigh myself. And this was just not what I needed at the time. Um, But then after that, I did it make it worse. Um, I would definitely say that it did heighten my anxiety around food. I mean, that was the first time that I was really tracking my food and that was like something that I was told to do from a physician while I was already dealing with all these yeah, eating disorder though and you're told to weigh yourself every day and I mean I like Julie saying did it make it worse it just seems like it definitely the opposite the problem yeah. um but after that the road, get, the road gets brighter and I start going to therapy and meanwhile I'm going to therapy I I liked therapy but I did not tell a soul in my life I mean I can no rem- friends no I one. didn't tell a friend I didn't tell my teachers at school I didn't tell anyone because I just always thought of it and that I'll tell people when it's over I'll tell people when I 
and no longer have to leave after after um, my lunch break to go to the bathroom or I will tell people when I'm not having panic attacks over my homework. Like I'll tell people when it's over and when I'm okay again. And I was like that for a long time. And I was just going to therapy by myself, not really using my friends or my teachers or really my family as an outlet because I felt like this was my problem and that I was alone in this. And I'm not really sure what happened one day that made me decide that, no, I'm not going to wait for this to end. Like this is something that is not going to end. And for at this point, it was my junior year in high school. And I don't know, I guess I was only 17 at the time. But for me at 17 to be like, okay, I'm going to be dealing with anxiety and a strange relationship with food and my depression for the rest of my life. And while I don't need to be okay with that, I'm going to let other people know because I don't want anyone to have to go through that feeling of being so alone and so isolated and not being able to go out and ask for help. I just, it's, it's heartbreaking to do by yourself. And yeah, that age is hard enough. It's tough. Yeah. Enough. There's a lot of, yeah. a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. it, it was, were any of your friends that you were aware of suffering? Had you ever talked about it in your friend group? I mean, as teenagers, you know, especially with social media, there had to be a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, out of my close friends, I would say that I was kind of the pioneer of the group to come out and say something. I know that I did inspire a few of my friends to go and get help. And in my experiences with being very open with my mental health disorders and about my experiences, I tend that a lot of my friends will come to me asking for help and- It must and, feel good. I mean, I do like it. I love giving people advice and for people to perceive me of being intellectual and giving good advice, I like to consider myself like a very empathetic person. And also you're making a difference, you know, you <laughs> opened that door, so. Yeah, I mean, personally, I found that the best way to make people vulnerable and to share is by being vulnerable yourself. And I mean, I'm studying to be a doctor right now and I'm studying in neuroscience, so we're taking a lot of, I'm taking a lot of neuro classes. And wow. I mean, are we physically mirror each other? So if I'm going to mirror a certain tone of being vulnerable and being open and I'm going to mirror my body language again, like as to yours. And this is all just me showing that I'm open and here and ready to listen and that it's okay to share. Cause look, I'm just vulnerable with you. Like you can be vulnerable with me. And it's in having those conversations that I am able to talk to my friends and everyone. And I don't know, actually in college, I'm a part of a peer support network where every week I um, have college, different college kids come and we just sit down and talk about mental health. And is it like a support group? It is a support group. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't really call it that because it's just run by students and oh, we're not right. Qualified. Yeah, but a peer, a peer. Group. <laughs> yeah. Well, peer support, peer support's a real thing. Yeah. Right. Yes, it is. And yeah. so you're run by the peers that are in that group. That's yes, it's it's called uh, Wolverine Support Network. Oh my gosh, Wolverine Support Network. It's actually the biggest club now at Michigan. And wow. I, I really don't know. Like, sorry, I'm not really sure I was going that right statement. Um, 
with WSN and finding that group of people and finding that at college has been the best decision that I have made in school. I mean, my freshman year, it was completely virtual. So that was already interesting. Did you have this? Did you start it when it was virtual? I mean, I did. I did start it virtually. Maybe do you think that was easier when people sort of thought, well, I can just log on. I don't have to actually show up. Yeah. I mean, that made it easier for me. It would be. And maybe for the attendees as well. mm -hmm. It made it the one Zoom of the week that I did not necessarily like loathe going to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not that I loathe my classes, but doing virtual class, it's so hard because all your day you're just on your computer. Like, I don't think that professors have such an appreciation for the burnout that was caused by Zoom and just being on online. And I don't know, that's that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, but. I know. I was <laughs> going to say that COVID really taught us a lot yeah. of things. But I don't know, finding WSN and finding a place in which I could have these personal conversations with people about their mental health at college has boosted my mental health so much because well, I want to be there to help lead and facilitate the conversation between everyone so that everyone can get so much out of it and to share. And like we have older seniors giving freshmen advice and just mm. it's it's an amazing organization. Um, Is it, do you have a lot of students that are coming back every week, like a regular group, yeah, a core group, and it grows and grows? Or exactly. Is it different people? So um, every leader gets like a co and we're assigned to a group and it's the same throughout the entire semester. And I don't know, you really get to know these students and oh, fabulous. I don't know. I'm definitely a little extra in being my leader. I will bring coloring sheets for all of my members and oh. I'll like plan different activities. And it's just a great designated time in my week or in my schedule in which I'm not worried about school. I'm just going to focus oh, on wonderful. my mental health. It's really well, and I'm, I'm sure being a pioneer in that, that people look up to you, become a role model in your school. Yeah. And I mean, Michigan's pretty big, but I definitely feel like yeah. I did have that when I was in high school. Um, so I had it where people recognize you as a role model for this. Oh, yeah. I'm when I was in high school, one of the my first speaking opportunity where I ever spoke publicly about my mental health was through this project called Identity Project, my junior year of high school and you got to spoke to the entire incoming class about some kind of struggle that you had and how you overcame it. And I personally deeply remember when I was a freshman, I went through this project and I remember this girl talking about her dealing with depression and I really related to it. And little did I know later that year I would be diagnosed with it. And so I wanted to be that person for someone else. I wanted to get up on that stage and share my story so that someone could who was like me and saw themselves in my story, whether it was dealing with an eating disorder or anxiety or depression or any of it. I just wanted it to be a sign that like, it's okay to get help. I'm here, I'm being okay and you can get through it. And so I remember I was absolutely terrified because at this point I didn't even tell some of my friends. I told like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna giving this talk at school tomorrow like and i'm going to be sharing a lot about myself i guess i should tell you ahead of time before i tell like over a thousand people it's so brave Um, wow and it felt very liberating to do that and 
I don't know, people afterwards, I remember like one of the lunch ladies come up and to tell me that I was so brave and that she was proud of me. And I don't know, that was like a very surreal moment for me just because this was something that I was so ashamed of for so long and that I didn't want to tell everybody because I was afraid that if I did, I would be the mental health girl at my school, that everyone would just see crazy me crazy person, one right? soul part that I didn't want to be part of my identity at that point in time. And so then after that, I started, I got in connection with NAMI. Mm -hmm. And actually when you saw me spoke at that gala, I had just met with them the week before. And I was like, I'd emailed them multiple times being like, hi, I would love to volunteer. I'm very passionate about mental health. Like here I am, like, I would love to be your intern or something. And they did not like, respond to me for a while and I kept emailing them being like please I know I'm only in high school but take a chance I want to be able to advocate and they did and we were meeting and I I don't know I was just telling them about me I showed them my speech from the identity project and I showed them how I was working on this um project for DECA which is, was this business competition in which I was making this curriculum to fill the gap in between um, mandatory mental health legislation for school curriculums. Wow. And because right at, at the moment, it was only uh, mandatory in Virginia and New York. And I that may have changed at this point. I You did this in high school? I, I did do wow. this in high school. And actually, the only reason that I reached out to NAMI again was because I did not make it to nationals or internationals for that project. And I that was the first public um, panic attack that I ever had was in the DECA ceremony room with thousands of kids because for some reason I felt like the future of student mental health rided on me doing well in this competition because I had come up with idea this idea and I was like this can work like this can give the proper education that I wasn't given mm -hmm. in my health school, public school program that millions right. of kids aren't yeah. given. And I was like, so crucial. I was like, this can make a change. And then when it didn't, I, I remember I had one of the worst panic attacks ever. And I just felt like everyone was staring at me. And I remember that I had to leave the room early and I was just petrified. felt like everyone was staring at me and, our bus ended up being late, so we were there for so long, and I just was an emotional wreck, but I was like, no, I'm not going to take this as a failure and never go back to working on mental health. So I emailed NAMI. Sue, who worked there at the time, agreed to meet with me, and I was telling about her about, oh my God, I was telling her about my DECA project and what I was doing, and she was like, will you speak at our gala? to raise money and I was like are you serious and I was there as I said you you know that's when I was you were etched in my mind it was just I was blown away you were just something else and you still are I mean I feel like your passion just overflows it's making <laughs> such a difference think of all the people listening to this right now yeah. I have a question for you so with all of this we're hearing your perspective and how you've kind of come up in the um the bravery ranks, I mean, starting very high and you just keep going and going. What would you suggest when kids talk to their parents? Let's say, let's go mm -hmm. back to high school age or middle school, and they have some 
you know, you, you were, like you said, lucky enough to have the questionnaire from your doctor that flagged that you had some questionable issues that you had to look into. How, how would you say if kids are going to approach their parents, what do you think would be a good response for parents? Picture parents listening to this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. How would you um, suggest that they listen and respond? I would suggest that, I don't know, like the first thing you do is just tell your kid that you will love them no matter what, that you are going to love them and support them through however they're feeling, however they feel about themselves or about other people in this world, depending, like, no matter what, you're going to love them and through support them through this hard time and that you believe them and that you are going to advocate for them. That would be the first thing I yeah, would say. That sounds good to me. Um, but I can only speak from this, obviously, from a child's perspective, speaking to their adult, mm-hmm. asking for help. And it is hard. It's really hard because as a child, you're you're given the like the background that you don't know what you want and you're having a hard time expressing your emotions. And I mean, a lot of times we aren't taught how to properly regulate and express our emotions like these are things that we should be taught in school and we're just not but mm-hmm. because of the stigma i i agree exactly. no i just i think in general i don't think it has anything to do with mental health at all i think you're spot on with that that we don't talk about emotion and feelings and and how to express them in different situations and how to react to people mm-hmm. um but going back to the question at hand um just ask your child to just describe in what how they're feeling in terms that they think that you could understand just because in my experience i always had a hard time telling my mom how i felt and a lot of the times i would be scared that what i was feeling or what i was going to say was going to be too scary for her or i did a very important point i didn't i didn't want to scare her to the point where she was gonna or any of my parents are gonna put me in some kind of institution or anything of that. So like from a child, it is terrifying because I want to get help, but I also want to get the help that I want to get. So it's also in terms of asking your child, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Very good point. And a lot of the time, I mean, my mom will ask me this all the time and I'm like, I don't know. I don't (laughs) know exactly how you can help me. I really wish that I could give you a straightforward answer, but just, regularly checking in and seeing if there's anything you can do. I mean, that's a good one too. regularly checking in, you know, not just saying we had the conversation right. over to, you know, really keep yeah, tabs. I mean, this is an ongoing conversation. Like sure is at least when I'm at school every Sunday morning, I talk to my mom and I mean, both my parents. And while it's also talking about like, oh, how was my week? How was school? It's also how am I doing mentally? Am I taking my meds? Does anything need to be adjusted? Like, how am I doing and how can I be set up for success? Because while this isn't something that necessarily will be in my everyday conversation with my parents, like this is something that I do need to talk about. And my parents are a huge support system for me. So just Well, they getting... sound like it. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. It, but just... it, it wasn't always that. It's all about practice and figuring out what works in between your two relationship. And I don't know, just like any romantic relationship, this is something that needs effort from both sides. And there's Mm -hmm. learning. I mean, parents, 
don't expect, don't know what to expect when they have their kids growing up. And this is learning. They're learning right along yeah. with you learning if you're the one going through it even. So, um, but your suggestions are great and just. I was going to ask you, uh, going back to prior to you getting diagnosed, did your parents know anything was going on? I mean, it's great. You have a great relationship with your parents, but were they, were they in the room when the, the doctor gave you that thing to fill out? Were they yeah. shocked? Were they, I mean, was this um, like a foreign concept to them? Because <laughs> no, they, I'm just, I'm just thinking back to when my, my son was finally diagnosed, obviously as parent, I knew something was happening. I didn't know what it was called. Um, when the doctor said it out loud for me as a parent it was like a light bulb moment, like this is it. It all makes sense now. And how do I help my child? Yeah. I mean, I cannot speak on the behalf of my parents, but for me, I was completely blindsided. And I remember that you were, what did they, you say? Blindsided. blindsided. Yeah. <laughs> and they were as well. I mean, I was in just pure denial. I, I remember my freshman year in my health class, the entire extent of learning about mental health and your mental well-being was like a one week unit in which three of the days we were sprinting on like an independent project on a mental illness of your choice. And me being me, I chose bulimia just to convince myself that I did not have it. And oh, interesting. I it was successful. I didn't think that I had it. Um, I was wrong. But no, I don't feel like my parents really had anything. I'm I have noticed and I've had multiple therapists and everything say that I am a high functioning person who deals with these things. So I tend to conceal them better than the average person. And I don't know, me just being the person that I am, I'm very much, I am loved to please people. I'm a people pleaser. Like I don't like people being upset with me. I don't want which is like, like classic. Yeah, I don't want to disappoint my parents. Like mm -hmm. the perfection, like that's mm -hmm. what it all was. That Before Julie it was and just... I always say that that word comes up with so many <laughs> podcasts about yeah. mental illness and mental health perfection. It's just yeah, with anxiety and OCD, it's it's become a reoccurring theme in our podcast, which is super interesting to me. Yeah. And yeah. what age do you did you start to feel like something's something's not right? Like something is. Like what age did the bulimia start? Cause you're still so young. Yeah, I would say the bulimia started probably around like seventh grade. And then I feel like I really started to notice my anxiety freshman year of high school or when I entered high school. All throughout high school is very bad. It's not great now. Like this is not answering the question at hand, but I feel like something that when people talk about their mental health is that they always talk about it in the past. Like, I feel like sometimes when I talk about mental health, I'm like, oh, my anxiety was this, my bulimia was this. And I'm not recognizing that these are still things that I still have. And Good that, point. I don't yeah. know. I'm still dealing with anxiety. I'm still dealing with depression. I'm still deleting, oh my God, dealing with my eating disorder. And mm -hmm. it all just fluctuates. Like, he, recovery is so linear. So I would say in high school in my life, the hardest thing for me to deal with then was my eating disorder and and then and now i feel like my anxiety is more on the rise while i feel like i have i i don't feel like i have i have doing so much better with my eating disorder but it has taken 
okay, I'm 20. I guess it's taken like seven <laughs> or eight years. But and like you say, it's a lifetime of yeah. regulating and recognizing and boy, you sure are self-aware. Um, so would you say that college, going away to college has made the anxiety greater? I mean, you hear about kids that go to college feeling like or not realizing or recognizing that they have any kind of um, issues, mental health issues. And when they go to college, kaboom, they just um, have anxiety and sometimes have to leave school and can't come back. It's a time of a lot of uh, realization with mental illness and um, looking at mental health in those years of 18 to, you know, the four years of college. Do you yeah. think, do you see that? No, I, I absolutely do. I mean, for me, I mean, you're away when, from home and <laughs> when I went away to college, my mental health just really plummeted. And I mean, also freshman year was COVID and very different. But even still now, I feel like my anxiety is so much worse than it was in high school. And while, yes, I am taking harder classes and more involved in things than I was in high school, it's more of the structure of my day being gone that has completely disrupted any good habits that I had before. I don't know. In high school, I was three sport athlete. So I would be going in before school for morning swim practice. And then I would do all of school. And then I would have more practice after school. And then I would finally get home, eat dinner and do my homework. And that would be my day. And just something about having it so busy. Like I'm definitely a busy body. I enjoy being busy, like mm -hmm. scheduled. Yes. I like having things scheduled. And when it came to college, I got to make my schedule. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. I don't want to take budget your time. I don't want to take it 8am. I like sleep. I'll sleep in. And it's really hard when you don't have not so much like my mom being like, Kevin, it's too late. You need to go to bed. Um, I've been up studying too late. It's more of like, I don't have those, like the bell system to be like, okay, right now you're going to focus on history. And then in a 45 minutes when this period is over, you're going to focus on like writing. And while we do have class, it's all just, it's so different. And when I come home from class, I still feel like I'm at school. Mm -hmm. And it's like, without having that escape of being like, okay, I'm going home, I'm leaving school. That it's just that constant anxiety, because I still feel like I have things to do, I need to do this, I need to do this. I need to work on this project. I need to like study for this exam. And like, they're all independent of each other. It's not just all school. Mm -hmm. And right. I mean, for me, having them all being these like independent classes is so stressful for me because I feel like they're all just separate tasks that I need to work on instead of me being like, okay, I need to do my homework. So it takes work. Well well, and I, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you enter into college, the responsibility is your own. It is. And they do not, you're not going to have a teacher who's going to be like, um, excuse me, where is your homework? Exactly. Or, saying, or saying it's time to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any of it. They're just, you know. And even the worst part is some of them don't assign homework. And so then I don't have that task every few days to keep me on track right it's all on me it's all on me to go to class it's all on me to do the work it's all on me to contact the teacher and that's definitely part of growing up but that is something that i don't feel like i was prepared to prepared for coming from yeah high and maybe like i said in the beginning what do you think it is about college that makes it tougher that's a big that explanation is a big part you know of just the schedule accountability for yourself and 
just what you're saying about your yeah. day. I mean, what what do you do to relax? Do you still do? Are you still involved in sports? Yeah. Do you have any relaxation time um, except for the, the of course the oh yes the, the uh, peer group. group the peer group. Um, yeah, self care is something that I still need to work on to prioritize. Um, like when I'm at school, it's very easier for me to overlook my basic self care, which is I found. A, something that can be common for people when they go to college and I would say what I try to do is I definitely go outside every day I have noticed that if I leave my apartment if I go outside I'm going to have a better day than if I do not I love that I I think the same thing sometimes when I I am stressed out or I get these crisis call I get not calls through um families that need resources like mm -hmm. met for mental health um, issues of family members, et cetera. And if they're just freaking out, I'll say, okay, put the phone down, walk out the front door. There's something about when you walk across that threshold of fresh sure. air, it makes a big difference. No, it, it makes the world of difference. And do you still do, play sports or no? Uh, yeah, I did, but I, I played club water polo last semester, but I unfortunately Ooh. had to drop it because it was going to be too much of a time commitment, which is another thing. Because when you go to college, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do all these things. I want to join all these clubs, <laughs> everything, sport, and it's just so ambitious because it's hard. It's hard to get yourself to go to these things that aren't necessarily mandatory in your day. Mm -hmm. Like it's very easy to be like, I'll do homework or I'll go to sleep, and it's hard to even though those are for me forms of self-care like doing a club that you enjoy or going on a walk yeah. or watching a show or cooking a meal for yourself mm -hmm. like these are all forms of self-care i feel like one of the most misconstrued things in our society today is the concept of self-care because everyone just sees it as like oh i'm gonna take a bubble bath and like put on a face <laughs> mask and just have the night to myself drink a glass of wine and while that 100 percent can be your form of self-care and more power to you that sounds amazing I do not have, that is not a sustainable form of self-care for me. And I in like college taking a bubble bath somewhere, <laughs> I don't know where that would be. I, I wish I had a bathtub. <laughs> At least when I think back to my college experience. <laughs> um, but I like to think of self-care as just being service to yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just thinking like your car. I know that's like like you have like the service that you need to refill yourself with gas. You need to like mm -hmm. let it rest and cool down or yeah. just you need to be able to take care of yourself. And sometimes it's not those like big car washes that you get every few times a year. Right. It's the little things like brushing your teeth in the morning, washing your face, taking a shower, making sure you're eating three meals a day, making sure you're going outside, having some kind of creative outlet. Like for me, I ordered an adult coloring book on Amazon and would color it and oh. give pictures to my friends. Like just social just interactions that bring you joy. Yeah. That's it. And social interaction, right? Because yes. you, you don't want to isolate yourself. No, I, it is very easy to self isolate in college. I will say that even yeah. in having roommates that are like constantly home, like it's still very easy to self isolate yourself, whether it's in your room or mm -hmm. in the library, like it's easy, like, especially as a freshman, it's so hard because- In a big school, like it, I guess big or small, but you're in a big school, yeah. you can be so lonely. It is, I would say that was one of the hardest things that was coming to college was 
feeling lonely just because when you're at home you always have something to come home to and obviously mm-hmm. now I can come home to all my friends and I don't feel as lonely as I did but when you're a freshman yeah I mean you don't really have anyone and that is something that is so hard to wrap your mind around and that you are at this new place all alone and that is absolutely terrifying especially when you have the preconception that this is supposed to be the best four years of your life yeah that you know that statement is just so (laughs) awful and i think back to that is just you know thinking of my own kids going to college and and just that adjustment that freshman year is tough when you are um big school small school when you're really on your own just a lot of it's it's a lot of hype yeah. You know, it's a yeah, lot of hype. The I think we watch a lot of someone. Right. We watch and, and, a lot of movies and we have yeah, these crazy and, well, expectations. Pe- and people say it, you know, like in August when kids are going away and they see their friends and neighbors, their parents' friends, and they'll say, oh, you're going to have the greatest times, the best four years of your life. I just remember someone saying that to one of my kids. I was thinking, oh, please don't say, you know, it's a rough, it's a rough uh, bar to set. Yeah, nor should any of us want college to be the best four years of our life. I mean, speaking as a current a current college student, I I really hope that I do not peak right now. Um, (laughs) And so, so when we're I don't think so. (laughs) When we're talking right now, this is the beginning of a college year, and if there are some students anywhere in the country tuning in, if they're feeling that and they feel like they need some help, if they feel they're listening and think I have anxiety, I have depression, eating disorder, anything that, you know, any of the above and more. Any suggestions at their school where they can go look for help? Absolutely. So first off, whatever you are feeling is completely valid and you are not alone in feeling this way. And after internalizing that, um, go and talk to someone. Hopefully you have a roommate, at least in my experiences, my roommates have been such a great source for me for I I don't know I remember my last year when I first met my roommates I was like I just wanted to give you a heads up that like I don't know I am like an anxious person and they've helped me through so many panic attacks and stuff like that and just are there for me but it's only because I opened that door um but upon that schools like a lot of times there'll be different mental health resources. In my experience, like the on-campus counselor normally has a really big wait up, like backup. And I oh, remember- you mean a waiting list? Yeah, I remember my freshman year, I went was like, oh, can I see a therapist here? And they were like, uh, get back to us in like four months. I was like, okay, wow. never mind. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's very common. And so that's why I found a student run organization. So. If you want my two cents, find a student organization. There's tons of mental health organizations on campus. That's great advice. That's terrific advice. It'll be like NAMI, Active Minds. If there's a support network at your campus, join that. That has transformed my experience. Any suicide networks, like just going in, you already know that these are going to be people that are open about talking about mental health and are there to support you because. And that will most likely get it. You know, you want someone who understands. And I mean, it's also very hard to put yourself out there and to join a group without knowing anyone, but it's also really hard to be vulnerable and speak out with people. So if you found these people who are willing to be vulnerable and do the hard thing, then you can too. Wow. 
I have kind of a, a, a big question. I mean, you are like mind blowing. You're so, you're so wise beyond your years. It, it's dumbfounding to me. I think back to my twenties, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, I'll have to rate that one. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I think often in college also comes a lot of drug use. Yeah. And so how have you avoided that and not got caught up in that? Because I think self-medicating, especially when you don't really understand what's happening, it's easy to fall into. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, college definitely seems to have the work hard, play hard mentality mm -hmm. in that, I don't know, I was involved in, I was in a sorority for barely a half semester. And so in that, so much of social interaction is centered around alcohol, is centered okay. around drugs, it's, yeah. it's centered around getting lost from society or from the stress of school. And while that is valid and great, and I do partake like in drinking and going out and having fun, like that, that should only be part of your college experience if you wish that to choose to be. And I just, there's also so many great sober events that go on on campus. Like for example, I was talking about before WSM, I'm actually part of the planning committee for it. So every week we put on a different like sober fun event that you could go to. And so a lot of the times it's just, searching out these different things that you can do but i a college is a very hard time in that this is the first time where you're being like here are all these things that you've been told that you can't do so far in yeah. in life mm -hmm. and here are them super easily accessible to you so mm -hmm. of course the natural intent is to just go at it but as if you don't pace yourself if you don't watch yourself like so much of the greek life is just drinking and doing drugs and I don't know, you want to fit in college, you want to make friends. So a lot of the times you'll partake because you're like, I don't want to be perceived as lame yeah. or as not wanting to do something. Right. I want to hang out with these people. And just in the end, my biggest advice for that and for me and saying no to, I mean, I've been offered to do hard drugs and stuff like that. And I've said no, because that's not something that I'm interested in doing. And just know your values and know what you're wanting to do because you wouldn't in college, it's all about finding yourself, mm -hmm. finding about what you want to do, what do you want to study, what you want to discover. Don't lose yourself to trying to be friends with other people. Don't lose That's yourself to trying point. to fit in, yeah. because if you do, it has implications like you can get addicted, you can get into mm -hmm. some bad situations, just stick to your morals and know what you know is right and right for you. And also, I mean, it's such sage advice i i mean like julie said you're so wise beyond your years but um i do think also in these recent years just looking at universities there are more and more programs that yeah. are sober living kind mm -hmm. of things because uh you know different than it was 10 or 20 years ago and then you might also find your kind of people that exactly. have a struggle or the reason they're not doing drugs might be the same reason and um, in a big school, that's another way to find your 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 crowd. Possibly, yeah. I feel like the hardest thing. And about it's not college. like it's uncool anymore. It's yeah, really no. it's really like a, a whole new movement. I feel like mm -hmm. kids do a lot of stuff in high school now too. You know, it's not yeah. like the college is the first time. There's right. A lot going on in those early years that there weren't. Mm -hmm. ago, so, um, I feel like that could be a place to yeah. find. I think the biggest thing that she that you pointed out is 
you know, just not succumbing to that peer pressure. Just be you, own you, whatever it is, weird or otherwise, or, you know, just own who you are because people will love you. They will love you. And you're a good um, example of that. Yeah, I'm looking right now, the the audience, of course, can't see us, that Kevin's wearing this great black t-shirt with an embroidered heart in this on the, the upper side that says lean on me. And you are literally the walking definition of <laughs> the best yeah. person on earth for someone to know anywhere, anywhere you go, you're just, you're, you're the best someone who is there to have someone lean on boy, you really have it all I so appreciate your advice. You've been so informative to us and just thinking of the people you're helping that are listening of uh, the parents side, the kids side, the students can't thank you enough. Well, thank you so much for yeah. Keep here. Keep, <laughs> keep being you. I have a feeling this is not the last we've heard from you. So I, I hope not. I I, I, I always think you're love, right, Julie. I always love getting to have a platform to share. I if thirteen year old me saw myself doing here when I didn't want to tell anyone I would be having a panic attack. So <laughs> I think it just also goes to show how much growth we are capable as people and mm -hmm. that it's all about how you choose to perceive life. I, my personal motto is PMA, positive mental attitude, and that has gotten me through some of my darkest times. And so in saying that you wish more people were like me, you can be, it's just all about how you decide to live your life and how vulnerable you decide to be, because mm -hmm. I don't know, like, it's pretty cool to be your authentic self. I'm definitely not my authentic self yet, but that's, that's either am I. So, <laughs> I, think that ever, I don't think that ever ends but thank you you've been wonderful can't thank you enough yeah thank you so much for sharing and being being vulnerable and brave and brave don't forget you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram we welcome your input to contact us or any of our guests please email us at behind our door at mail.com that's behind our door at mail.com and please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at one 800 nine five zero six two six four until next time please join us for another conversation behind our door thanks for listening mm -hmm.